It's hard walking in and filling the shoes of that introduction this morning, but I stand on the shoulders being held by literally tens of thousands of volunteers, of former staff who are out in the satellite cities, of donors, of dreamers, of people who've held the same vision and made it possible for so much to happen. So thank you, thank you. This is a celebration this morning of your dreams, your work, your support. <sighs> Mike, thank you. My goal today is to take us to support you and all of us moving to the next level. We have been doing Bioneers for a lot of years. We have been hearing great solutions. You need to know it's the right stuff. But we need support. The question is always hanging out there, are our small steps enough? We know how vulnerable we are. We know how small we are in the face of the magnitude of global destruction. It's very easy to think, I'm not it. I can't do it. I'm too little. I'm too weak. I'm too scared. My goal today is for you to see, know, validate that your vision is right, your antennas are working, and to encourage you to keep those tuned in and to start responding, to gird up your loins, to put your oxygen mask on first, because the pressure is going to change in this cabin. It has. And, and seriously, you look out there, you, you heard Nina's words this morning. It hurts. It's scary. It's real. I'm actually going to throw away a bunch of my script today because she set up the change. Uh, for me to do a little bit more indifferent. It's so important that we move into action now as this, this conference moves to a close. Thank you. As we move with strength from this network of community and incredible love and support, it's important that we start having the strength to move forward and know that we can. But just as that notion of putting on the oxygen mask, it's not selfish. You are needed. You are needed badly. You need to be strong and you need to be set and ready to go. By putting that oxygen mask on first, you have the ability to help others. The people in New Orleans were surprised when they got hit. The global changes are amongst us. And it's not going to calm down for a while. We're needed. And we can do it. The story I'm going to tell you today is intended to give you some more strength and more confidence that the change is well underway, but it's not all, any of, none of it's off life support. You're all needed to keep it going and to spread it. So Kenny did me the favor of telling you a bunch of the story that I don't need to now tell you uh, of getting started as a kid. But a lot of people, including myself, discounted the impact of our work of just planting one tree at a time. And we did a lot of tree planting. We learned a lot about bringing people together. Our work wasn't just to restore the forest. It was to re-knit the fabric of community, to turn people onto their power. And we got pretty successful at that. About 15 years into the work, LA got hit by actually an early sign of climate change, and nobody knew that it was. It was a 100-year flood in 1978, and then again another one in 1980. I tell you this story because it's really similar to what happened a few weeks ago in New Orleans. LA's communication systems broke. 
police fire radios didn't work in the canyons, massive floods and mudslides started. Tree people used its skill, its tools for planting. We got volunteers together, and we sandbagged homes and saved a few. The city noticed, and when the storms got worse, they asked us if we could get more volunteers involved. And what we did was go to the media and ask them to ask people if they would volunteer. Now, it's really important to understand that we don't use volunteers much in emergencies anymore. If we have a fire in Los Angeles, we'll fly firefighters in from the other side of the country before we'll use volunteers. But in this case, things were desperate. People were calling the fire department for help and being told, sorry, we can't get there. You're on your own. So who showed up was ham radio operators, four-wheel drive clubs with Kill Sierra clubbers on their bumper stickers, <laughs> environmentalists, construction workers, and we assembled them into an army. We did fast training, put people in teams, and because our communications was so good, the fire department, police department established a hotline right into our offices. Anytime they got an emergency dispatch, they just picked it up, gave it to us, and we could radio out. We wound up re-knitting the radio communication network in Los Angeles. I tell you that because the same thing happened in New Orleans. But because, as we heard over the last few days, we have been so infantilized, so much turned into consumers, therefore victims, therefore victims, people weren't able to respond. They didn't know that they could, and they weren't even allowed to. We put together this emergency network, and it worked. Uh, in 1980, over 10 days' time, 3,000 volunteers saved 1,200 homes and rescued people. So having done that, it made me think that we could do more, and that's when we started a campaign to plant a million trees before the Olympics in 1980. Uh, and we did that, and then we moved on. We got, after being really good at getting trees planted, communities together, people dreaming, people taking to the streets, reclaiming their communities, and successfully greening them, LA got hit by a major indicator that our work wasn't working. It was the Rodney King riots. And I was really heartbroken and, and despondent. It's like, 20 years of doing this, it's not working. And people said to me, well, what does that have to do with your work? You can't use that as an indicator. You're just planting trees. I said, we're planting trees to feed people. We're planting trees to improve the quality of life, create a sense of justice and power. And obviously, the pain is still so great with poverty, with racism, with inequality, that we're not getting the job done. And I started reading Paul Hawkins' work and trying to learn and did. Started looking for where are we hemorrhaging resources? Where is the pain? Why? Why is the pain? And began to see that we were living in one of the most unsustainable ecosystems, that we were hemorrhaging resources. We tried to get money and did uh, after the riots by one federal agency. But all the sociologists studying Los Angeles said to mitigate the pain and prevent another riot, we needed to create 50,000 new jobs for urban youth who were basically being warehoused in the landfill of our inner cities. 
And that would cost, no one said what the cost would be, but I checked it out. It would cost about half a billion dollars a year to create and sustain 50,000 new jobs. Well, guess what? That seemed like way too much money, not really worth it, and it didn't ever happen. But I began to look for that half billion dollars, and I started to find it everywhere I turned. Suddenly, a federal agency showed up in town with a half billion dollars. It was the Army Corps of Engineers. They had a project to fix LA after the riots. It actually had nothing to do with the riots. It had to do with the fact that we had so overpaved the city. Now two-thirds of Los Angeles is paved. So when it rains, all the water runs off, and it threatens a flood that will take out the southern half of the city. So they decided to raise the walls of the LA River. The river had been already turned into a storm drain, but they had to put the effect of levees on it so we could repeat what happened in New Orleans. No, it's a, supposedly to prevent that. And I thought, that's nuts. We need the water. We're going to send more polluted water to the ocean and make things worse. And it wasn't going to create jobs. So I looked around and said, well, we need the water. I went to our water supply agency and found out that they spend a billion dollars a year to bring water into Los Angeles. A billion. Amazing. And I said, well, we need more water. We hear there's shortages. There's a lot of water here. In fact, the rainfall we receive is half the water we need in Los Angeles. But we throw almost all of it away. I said, well, if we could capture it, that would be great. Because I also learned that they were going to be spending billions more to bring water from here and other parts of the western United States, really despoiling these ecosystems, hurting the bay, the fish. And they said, you know, that's really nice, but it's a lot cheaper for us to build canals and bring the water from Sacramento, San Francisco, Montana, Utah, Colorado, Nevada. And, and no, we're not going to do that. It doesn't make economic sense. So I've looked further and found that we have a county flood control agency whose job it was to work with the Army Corps and get rid of that water and said, hey, you know, there's a better way than putting in more concrete. We could actually get the water in the ground and clean up the water. And they said, yeah, but you'd have to, oh, I left off. I saw that other countries like Australia and other places capture their water in cisterns, manage the land a little better and shepherd that precious resource. I said, we could put in cisterns. We could capture the water. In fact, it works perfectly in a forest. And if we did urban forestry and urban watershed management, this would work great. And they said, yeah, but it's too expensive. And you'd have to capture the equivalent of a 20,000-gallon swimming pool on a million homes in Los Angeles for it to work. So forget it. It's not going to happen. Leave us alone. I actually went out debating the colonel from the Army Corps with business groups trying to build support for this notion. People did think I was crazy. He would get up in front of the room in his uniform and say, I'm with the Army Corps. Our mission is to keep water and people apart and to protect you. <laughs> From the boogie flood. I would then get up in, in front of the room and say, well, I'm with tree people. Our mission. <laughs> Our mission is to inspire people to take personal responsibility for the environment and to participate in its healing. And people went, okay. Well, they, no, they didn't do that. 
You know, uh, army, big stuff, won the day in the face of fear. It got to the point where we actually challenged the environmental impact report at the County Board of Supervisors and said, there's a better way. Only one supervisor believed us. He couldn't get a second to stop the process. When that hearing was over, the wall project was approved. The money was about to be spent. The head of county flood control came out of the hearing and said, Andy, you did the flood work. You've been a friend. I don't know why you're so angry at us. You've got 40 miles of wall to plant trees in front of. <laughs> and I said, Carl, and parents, you might want to cover your kids' ears here. Carl, we're not here to plant your fucking walls we're, and decorate your walls and make it look pretty. We're here to plant trees to heal this city. We'll see you in court. We, d we joined Heal the Bay, Friends of the LA River went to court. It didn't work, they didn't understand. I got hit with the same problem I often get hit with being a bit of a visionary and an artist as I see what some people don't yet see. So I turned left and found, convinced the Forest Service to give us a challenge grant which then triggered more money to come to build a project to demonstrate that it was technically and econ economically feasible to retrofit the city to function as living ecosystem as a forest, as a watershed. And we got the money and we did a few things. We uh, brought a hundred of the best minds in architecture, landscape architecture, and engineering to Los Angeles, spent four days together, challenged them to design how to retrofit the city so it could work. They came up with specific engineering and architecture and landscape architecture designs. These people battled, and they're used to battling each other. We held what's called a charrette, an integrated design workshop. We held their feet to the fire with really great facilitators, and after four days, they came through with brilliant designs. We took one of them, and we applied it to a house in South Los Angeles, and at that house, after we built it, we invited all the government agencies back, including the guy, Carl Bloom, head of flood control, and we held a flash flood. We dumped 4,000 gallons of water on the house in about five minutes. We did give them umbrellas first. <laughs> and magically, the water flowed from the roofs into cisterns, flowed from the roofs instead of down the, well, hold your applause, down the driveway, picking up the pollution and going to the street, we just bent the, uh, the downspouts and sent the water into the lawn where we had put berms around them so they could hold about 5,000 gallons of flood water. Miraculously, oh, and we filled it with mulch. None of that water leaked to the street. And it opened people's minds to integration in a way that was really startling. Carl Bloom said his mind was spinning. He took our, oh, so we did the design work and we also then had 200 agency scientists and economists spend two years together working to do the economics. We hired the Army Corps' most conservative economics firm to manage it. The result was an incredible document that showed that we could in fact create those jobs. We could get, if agencies would work together, we could stack up enough money to do the retrofit. In fact, LA was gonna spend $20 billion in disintegrated projects if it was spent, integrated, collaborated, it was enough to fix the city.
So we got that document down. And we gave that to Carl Bloom after that, our flash flood. And he called me three days later and said, I'm sorry, we didn't understand. We think you've cracked it. He said, our difference now is about time and maybe about money. Andy, you say it'll take 15 years to retrofit LA. I know it's gonna take 50, but we have to start today, and we gotta blow up your simple house to a whole-scale watershed, and I have a project for you. If our engineers can duplicate your work, we just froze a $50 million storm drain so we could try your project. <laughs> Hold your applause, let me roll through this. He said, who do we need to bring to the table? We brought together a team, and then we launched said, let's give it a try. Took two years of feasibility study. They said, yep, it'll work. We then launched a four-year watershed planning process, including an environmental impact report last June. Both of those were approved by the County Board of Supervisors, including a $200 million budget to build it. Now, you wonder why $200 million when it was only a, a $50 million storm drain, because the amount of water we're capturing, putting back in the ground, the amount of savings in the Department of Sanitation for not having to pick up green waste and haul it to the landfill was close to $300 million. They're at the table. We have begun construction, and now I'm going to show you slides of what this stuff looks like. Thank you. I just wanted you to see LA's footprint, LA's broader watershed. That, I don't have my, my laser pointer. All those green zones are where we suck water from in order to water our lawns and flush our toilets and do various things in Los Angeles. It's unacceptable and it's unnecessary. Our goal is to re reduce LA's water use by half and we think we can get there. This is what it looks like when it rains in LA. A half an inch of rainfall generates a lot of runoff, billions of gallons. What I in, encountered, and I don't know if you can read that, um, was the disintegration. This is, these different circles are different agencies in the city. There's actually a lot more, but when you look at the city as an ecosystem, you begin to see how they're interrelated. There is nobody in charge at any level of government who looks at it as ecosystem, who does integration. And so we have disintegration. And our cities are disintegrating. We're hemorrhaging resources. Our people are hurting. Uh, just a couple points. Well, you heard them. The bottom left corner, the blue, is water supply, a billion dollars a year. On the right corner, the green flood control, a half a billion dollars a year to keep the pipes open to throw away a half a billion gallons worth of water. Up on top, sanitation. When you look at the city as a forest, sanitation is the third largest budget in the city of LA after police and fire. Third largest after police and fire. 40% of our waste stream is mulch. It's a watershed tool. It's a soil protector. We need it there, not in the landfills. Anyhow, our vision was to bring people together and plant flowers. No, uh, by... <laughs> it gets beautiful when you can get people to work together. And I need to fly through this. So here's the house 
during the rainstorm. Uh, there's some of the cisterns, water being uh, rechanneled from our bent downspouts. One example of another demonstration project, we created that curriculum that you heard about. The kids went out on their campus. They measured. They investigated. They did math. They spoke. They dreamed. The city heard. Our Department of Water and Power added a quarter million dollars to their campus so we could do this. Imagine the power you feel when you're a little elementary school kid and you see that your vision resulted in infrastructure bigger than, those are little humans up above that. <laughs> that is a stormwater filtering machine connected to these drain pipes that takes the flood water from their flooding campus and puts it back underground. This was their schoolyard before. This is the place where on 600 campuses across Los Angeles, we fry our kids every day. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. Skin cancer is now the largest, fastest cancer right in this country, and 13-year-olds are the most at-risk population. This is the campus today. But what's important about this is that this is now the city's water supply, flood control system, and stormwater cleanup system. It is not just simple light greening of lawn and trees that are consuming water. This is healing, and it's bringing the resources to keep this school now as a park, protecting these kids. Let's keep going. We uh, went to Sun Valley. Every time it rains, the community floods. As I said, we began construction first with this project. We're putting another massive infiltrator in under a park. It's big. And above this will be a lovely uh, soccer field lighted for the kids. I have three minutes left. I want to get right to the video. Lovely images here. But if we can cue the video, I want you to see how it's still scaling up. Go for it, folks. Oh, it should be ABC. Nice weekend. Yeah, well, you know, despite the record rainfall, experts say Los Angeles is still facing drought conditions. But local environmentalists say there are ways to help solve the city's long-term water shortage. Bill Smith has the details. Not that we haven't seen enough real rain, but here is a little simulated rain from the group Tree People, demonstrating how to save the runoff from the storms and turn it into rich, green, healthy grass. In this case, for the students at Open Charter Elementary near LAX. The rain, it goes into the storm drain, and then it, that goes into the cistern, and it separates it from the trash and all the dirty water. So then the water will be clean, and we can use it for sprinklers and, yeah. Does it work? Yeah. Yeah, it does. The water is stored in a cistern-type reservoir underground, right here beneath the playground grass. Uh, we need this water so badly, and uh, L.A. is searching for long-term solutions. And this just might be one of those solutions, an idea to capture rain from the storms and then put it to use later when you need it. That during the rainfall, we would collect the water and we use it for the summer months. Okay, kids, now show me one more time. All that water from all those storms goes down the drain and into that reservoir underneath your playground because... Well, it's so that we could save water by by reusing all the rainwater. Instead of letting it get away into... Uh, where's it get away to? The ocean. We don't want that? No. And if you think this is all about saving just a little extra water, well, tree people say this last batch of storms through Southern California brought some 80 billion gallons of water that just slipped right through our fingers, right back out into the ocean. Bill Smith, KTLA News.
it does get better. The city learned from that process and began uh, working to integrate its wastewater system with its water supply system with its stormwater system, the first ever integrated system. It's been a four-year planning process with multiple 125 stakeholders, environmentalists, taxpayer groups, people who are usually at loggerheads in a well-facilitated, deep learning environment. The plan, called the IRP, the Integrated Resources Plan, plans for distributed water treatment systems like that, greening schools, greening communities all over the city. They found, when they started, they had planned to add one whole new sewage treatment plant for $4 billion. They will now not have to build that and liberate the $4 billion for greening the city and helping communities. But as I say, it's not off life support. Uh, the agencies need a lot more help to stay at the table and stay integrated, and that's where your job comes in. You really need to demand this from your cities wherever you live. It's not acceptable to be working in the disintegrated environment. We don't all have the skill to do integration, but the technology is there. It's calling forth from all of us, going deeper in our technology skills, our communication skills, keeping people's feet to the fire, and asking and demanding the best. Other cities are beginning to copy this and to work with us. City of Seattle brought us up to look at a plan for Salmon Safe Seattle to put the forest ecosystem back into their lovely city. And they have rushed ahead and are building some great, great stuff. Um, yeah. So let me just conclude with back to you. Are you prepared? Are you ready? As things start to shake, we saw during the disasters that people who used the old paradigm adage of take care of number one in trying to take care of themselves when the storms hit and the floods hit, they got emotionally shocked, emotionally disabled, and became useless. When they said, I'm gonna, take, I'm gonna be strong and I'm gonna take care of my neighbors, they took on a mantle of protection and strength, no matter who they were. And they didn't get hurt. They may have lost their house, but they stayed able. They stayed able to rescue themselves and their, their friends, their families, their neighbors. We're moving into those times, and you need that strength. And in case you are thinking, but I don't have it, he's not talking to me, because I'm just this vulnerable person. Uh-uh. You know, I take... I get great strength from looking at the other leaders and speakers up here, and often I think, I can't speak like that, I'm not that smart, I'm not that strong, I'm just little. And I think about the redwood trees. They're huge. They're some of the largest living beings on the planet. They inspire us. But how could we ever get there? You know, the redwood seed is one of the smallest seeds, almost microscopic in the world. When it first sprouts, you can't see it. But it grows to be something that inspires us, protects us. We are all the same. In that vulnerability, what gives us strength is getting bumped around a little bit, trying things, failing, using that failure as compost for success. Go for it. Thank you. We're in it together as we re our lives and our communities. Thank you so much. <laughs>